so much. If you have your Bible this morning, John 4 is where we're going to be, and I'll have you stand in just a moment. We'll read just a few scriptures, but I'll have you keep your Bibles open in John 4 this morning. Are we okay on the sound and everything? Okay, good to go. Wonderful. Thank you, church, first of all, for having us. Uh, this is our second time to be with you, and not yet. Okay. Sorry to wake you up, Pastor. No, I'm just kidding. God bless you. Whatever you're standing for, I'm for it. Amen. But, uh, but again, church, thank you for your kindness and all that you've done already. It's always good to be here. I grew up in Sonora in the foothills here. I was born and raised in Northern California, pastored in Stockton for 20 years. We started a church there in 2001. And then about a year ago, the Lord called us to be full-time missionaries to America, as Pastor mentioned earlier. Maybe sometimes in America, we don't think about having missionaries to our own country, but it's very obvious that we are losing America morally already, and largely that is because we have lost her spiritually. And I'll share some statistics with you this morning in the message, uh, but uh, there's a great need to reach our country. Let me say this also as a missionary to America, we are forgetting the gospel to the world. But if the gospel light grows dim here, it literally will dim around the globe. Eighty-five percent of missions givings comes from this country. Um, I say this everywhere we go. God does not have to use America to get the gospel to the world, but God has used America to get the gospel to the world. And so not only do we we need to start new churches, but we also need to make sure that our existing churches are strong as they should be and keep from closing their doors. All over America today, we know of in our ministry alone, and there's probably much more than we're aware of, but approximately 300 independent Baptist churches in America today, this morning, do not have a pastor to lead them. Some of these churches have been without pastors for uh, years, literally years, uh, three, four, five, six, seven years. Uh, I know you don't do this, and I know you never will do this, but I'm going to say it anyways. Never take your pastor for granted. He's not going anywhere. Never take his wife and his family for granted. What you have here this morning, literally Christians all over America would covet what you have here. They'll gather this morning as they already have uh, for church, and there'll be no pastor. No pastor walked out this morning to preach to them. Maybe they'll get a layperson from the church, maybe someone to fill the pulpit for a Sunday or maybe a month or two, but no man of God. Every Christian needs a pastor. Every church needs a pastor. Amen. And never take for granted what you have today. Uh, Our ministry primarily focuses on three things. Number one, once my wife and I raise our support, we'll be focusing on planning churches ourselves. Secondly, coming alongside other church planners to help them through that process and staying with them until the church is established. And then thirdly, again, is the need I just mentioned, the need to help existing churches from closing their doors. In most of those churches without pastors, there are literally just maybe a handful or two of people, good people still in the church, just trying to do the best they can to keep those doors open. So not only do we want to start new churches in America, but we want to keep the existing ones from shutting their doors as well and keeping America strong uh, in that regard. I'm going to talk to you about what the uh, singers just sang ago. Missions is literally the gospel. It's just getting people saved. And, and uh, I'm so grateful that uh, you have a pastor here, I'm going to say, that gets it. Um, we, we need to reach our own country. The Bible does say to go into all the world. Last time I checked, America is part of the world. And I think largely in our country, we've neglected seeing the great need we have to reach our own land. And we have focused 
with, with a good motive to get the gospel to the world. But I think in doing that, largely we've neglected our own country. So now we're in this position where if we don't do something here, it's affecting the gospel globally. And so, again, as these dear missionaries are here today going to Ukraine, going to Mexico, we are all for that. Uh, don't get me wrong, but again, we want to keep as America as strong as we can so that we can support these missionaries all over the world and also keep supporting the existing ones that we already have. And so very, very important. And God has truly, again, used our nation. Now, if you will, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we'll all stand together. And uh, John 4 this morning... And I'm going to read just those first four verses, but I do want you to keep your Bibles open here this morning after I pray, and then we'll let you be seated. John chapter 4 and verse 1, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And this is our text verse this morning, and he must needs go through Samaria. And he must needs go through Samaria. And let's pray this morning. Father, we do love you. Thank you again for this great church and truly the lighthouse that it's been in Marysville in this part of our great state for many, many years. And Father, thank you for the wonderful privilege that you've given my wife and I to be a part of this great conference. I pray that this morning would just be the beginning and already Sunday school was very helpful and we thank you for that. Lord, but I do pray this morning would just be the beginning of just a great work that you would do in all of our hearts in this matter of missions. Lord, my prayer would simply be that each and every one of us here would do what you would want us to do as individuals, that you would be able to lead us and guide us to any decision that you'd have us to make in this area of giving, in this area of missions, in this area of reaching the lost for Christ. Lord, help us to respond as individuals And then, of course, if we all would do that collectively as a church family here this morning, Lord, I pray even above and beyond what we could even ask or think, that you would do a great work in this conference and in our hearts. Lord, I yield myself to you. I would be a fool to think that I can stand up in front of these dear people and make a difference by something that I can say in my power Lord, I don't wish to entertain. I don't wish to preach even a good sermon. I want to be used of you. And Lord, I humbly yield myself to you the best way I know how. And I pray that you would speak through me this morning. Not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. Lord, would you speak through me and to each listener's heart. And bless the message, please. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated this morning. I love America. And I know many of you do. I believe probably all of you do. God has been so good to our nation. Perhaps better than we deserve. He's been so gracious to us. Especially in the midst of what is a very wicked and perverse nation, God has still given us a space of grace. We travel a lot, have been many states as we've just been on the road in full-time deputation now for about a year, but God's blessed us and has allowed us to see a large part of our country. We do have a very wicked part of our nation. We, we see it manifest in Hollywood, on the news, and the media every day. We're, we're all very aware of that. But thank God on the other side of that extreme, 
we are still seeing as we travel, and this is true in every state, it's true in California, it's no different here uh, than it is anywhere else. We are still seeing a lost population of people that do not want this wickedness over here. They're, they're lost, they don't know what they need, they don't know what they want, but they certainly don't want the wickedness that's permeating our culture. We know what they need is Jesus Christ. And literally these people over here that says, you know, I'm confused. I know there's got to be something else in my life. There's something missing. There's a void missing. I don't want that. I'm not about that wickedness. That's not me. But I I just don't know. I'm I'm just empty. Remember when you were there before you got saved, as we all were. And they literally just need someone to, to knock on their door. Or meet them at work or at school and, and give them a gospel track or invite them to church and give them the hope of Jesus Christ. God has been very gracious to America even in the midst of our wickedness and I don't know how long that will continue. But I do know as a Christian that I do not want to pervert that space of grace that God's given us at this hour. And he has given us a great amount of grace for this hour. God is still working all across America. Thank God people are still getting saved. Churches like this one are still going forward. There are churches that are starting all over our land. Thank God for that. Uh, but again, on the other side of that, uh, we, we have a great spiritual decline uh, in our country. They say in America, and just some statistics as we just lay a little bit of a foundation for the message this morning, for every 1,000 churches that are being planted or started in America, 3,000 are shutting their doors. And so as we start 1,000, we lose 3,000. So again, we're, we're losing ground uh, greatly in that area. 80% of the churches right now in America, they say 80% are slowly dying. And it's never been that high of a number. In the year 2019, foreign countries sent over 31,000 missionaries to America. So it's other countries now looking at us saying, we need to send someone there to evangelize America. Now, sadly, in that number of 31,000, those were not all gospel preaching missionaries. Those were cults that were represented there, false religions. But again, it's other countries looking at America saying, boy, that country now is in great spiritual decline. We need to help them out. And that's really never been the case, and especially in my lifetime, and in, in, in uh, the history uh, of the world, as other nations now looking at the great spiritual decline of America and saying, we need to go evangelize them. On average, 3,500 people a day in America are leaving the church. And some of those churches we would probably be glad they're walking away from, But they're not leaving a bad church to go to a good one. They're just walking away from church altogether. And if you do the math on that, that's 1.2 million people a year in this country that are walking away from the church never to return again. In the video, it said 43% of millennials, and there's many millennials here, and thank God today you have a love for God and you do care about God, but 43% of the millennial generation today says we do not know or care if God exists. Generation Z, which is the younger generation, that's our our children right now in America, 20% of our children in America claim to be atheists. Young people, children, small children, junior age children. Again, 85% of missions giving comes from the United States. 300 independent Baptist churches roughly do not have a pastor to lead them. The fastest growing religion in America is no religion. Sadly, in our country, over 23, almost 2,400 babies are killed every day. And we call it abortion, of course. 
And unless the media is actually promoting that, we almost hear nothing about it. And even as God's people, because we've just gotten so used to that, it doesn't even bother us anymore. And it should bother us. It should bother us a lot. There are still many towns and cities with no gospel witness at all in America. They say that there's not one county in the United States where Christianity is on the increase. There's a higher percentage of believers in Africa right now than in the states of Washington and Oregon. Fifty percent of churches that believe the gospel in America last year did not see one person saved in their church in an entire year. And they say in America only two percent of churches are actually growing from seeing people saved, reaching the lost and bringing them to the church. The United States has the largest Buddhist temple. It's located in Boulder, Colorado. We have the largest Muslim training center in the world, located in New York. We have a very untapped mission field right here. We have the largest Jewish population in the world, right here in America. 411 Americans are converting to Islam every 24 hours in our country. Even more sobering, 872 people on average convert to Mormonism every 24 hours in America. I pastored in Stockton. It's very common to look out the windows of my church and see the Mormon missionaries going up and down Hammer Lane on their bicycles. And I'd even have our own people say, you know, well, I pastor these Mormons all over our city. And I'm like, what about us? I mean, to think that lost people could be that motivated with their bad doctrine to give their lives to spread it. And here we hold the truth and do nothing with it. And we think, well, if we just get Joe Biden out of the White House, everything will be okay. No, it won't. Another very tragic statistic that is literally swept under the carpet in our country, it's estimated, and again, probably a much greater number than this, but it's estimated there are over 100,000 underage sex workers in the United States. These are children that are being trafficked for just horrendous crime, uh, horrendous Crimes against those precious young people. And again, you hear almost nothing about it at all. And it's very tragic. In our scripture, if you'll look at verse 4 with me, it says, and it's speaking here, of course, about Jesus Christ, and he must needs go through Samaria. This was because there was a woman who needed the Savior. Her life, as we read the story, was wrecked by sin. She was, of course, lost, and she was confused. And every time I read this chapter of the Bible, it's a sobering reminder to me that there are literally multitudes of people like her all around us each and every day. Even in this great community of Marysville, there are people like her and and others similar to her that literally are on the brink of destruction in their life unless somebody or something comes into their life to give them the hope of Jesus Christ, they're not going to make it. And at best, they'll live a successful life by the world standards. They'll maybe have a nice house and car and a job. That's the best thing, but then they'll just die and go to hell. Well, I thank God that we have a Savior that went out of His way to reach this dear lady and point her to Himself for salvation. 
Thank God for a Savior who is willing and still is willing to love the sinner and seek and to save that which was lost. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18, don't turn there, but the Bible teaches that when Jesus ascended to heaven, He gave unto us the ministry of reconciliation, the Bible calls it. In other words, He passed that baton of winning souls to Him, to us. Everyone here, if you're saved today, God used a human instrument in some way, shape, or form to get the gospel to you. You either came to church and a pastor preached and you heard the gospel or someone handed you a gospel track or knocked on the door. In some way, God used a person to get the gospel to you. That is the, the, the way that God's ordained for us to fulfill the Great Commission. And if we do not take up that ministry of reconciliation, it doesn't get done. You have people in your life this morning that all, all never cross their path. And unless you reach them, they'll go unreached. And that's the same with me as well. There are people who uh, are in my circle of influence that, that God expects me to reach with the gospel. It's not your obligation, it's mine. If I don't do it, it goes undone. I see nowhere in the Bible that if I let my obligations fall by the wayside, that someone comes by and picks up my obligations. I don't see that at all. We've all been handed that ministry of reconciliation. We've all been given that great commission to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus must needs go through Samaria, we know that this woman was saved. And I'm not going to take the time just for time's sake today to read all the scripture. But we know that she was saved. She goes and tells others and many others because of her testimony. Uh, uh, became believers as well. And then others that were there listening to her testimony said, well, we got to go hear this man ourselves." And so multitudes came to Jesus that day and they heard Jesus speak. And not because of her testimony, but because of the words that Jesus spoke, they also trusted Christ as well. So we have a woman here because a Savior went out of his way and said, I must needs go through Samaria. We have a woman that gets saved. Her life is transformed. She goes and tells others their lives are transformed. Those folks uh, that did didn't get saved, but heard that come and see Jesus, and their lives were transformed. And that's amazing. But I wonder what would have happened if Jesus never went there? What would have happened to that lady? Could you imagine just the, the bondage of sin that she was already in? What about all those other folks that day? We don't have a number, but there's multitudes of people there that got saved. Most likely, they'd all be burning in hell if we did not have a Savior that didn't say, I must needs go through Samaria. I was saved not too far from here a little over 30 years ago in Sacramento, California. Sacramento is a, a great spiritual center in my life. I joined the military out of high school. I grew up in a very charactered home. My mother and father are great people. But they were lost people, and so we just did what lost people do. My dad was, uh, the world would call him an alcoholic. Bible word would be a drunkard. His dad was a drunkard. It was kind of the sin that coursed through our family tree from generation to generation. When I became old enough, I, I also chose that path of sin for my life. Uh, I was addicted to alcohol. I was what the world would call a functioning alcoholic. And in other words, I still got up and was able to go to work and pay my bills somewhat and function in life, but I was a slave to the addiction of alcohol. Nobody knew it. I'm living in Sacramento, California. I was driving a car. I had no business driving, living in a house I had no business living in. And I was just a young man, tens and tens of thousand dollars in debt. And literally my world began to crash around me. I was very proud. Nobody knew what was going on but me and God. 
And thank God that God finally humbled me. And one night as a drunken man, having nowhere else to turn in my house, I looked up to the ceiling and I said, God, if you're real, show me what you want me to do and I'll do it. And I had no idea if God even heard that prayer, what that prayer meant, if God did hear it, if he'd ever answer it. And I went to bed drunk that night as I did for eight years of my life. Praise God that next morning I got up on my way to work and I turned on the radio to listen to some rock music on the way to work, and I hit the scan button, and it tr- landed on a religious station. There was a man preaching, and I almost instinctively went to get it off that station. I didn't want anybody preaching at me, and I pulled my hand back, and I remember praying that prayer, and I said, well, maybe this is the way that God's going to answer my prayer. I'll hear what this guy has to say. Thank God that morning on my way to work that that man preached a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first thing he says, I'm driving that car, he says, uh, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he talked about sin a little bit. And I remember thinking, God, I I have no problem uh, with that. I I know I'm a sinner. I just sinned a few hours ago. And I remember saying, God, I don't love you, but you are are God. And and God, I know I'm a sinner. Then that man talked about hell and how we all deserve hell because of our sins. And again, I remember saying, God, I don't love you, but you're God. And if you say I deserve hell, I'm going to hell. And I believed in the first time in my life that I was on my way to hell. The Holy Spirit was convicting me of my sins. But oh, praise God, then he talked about Jesus Christ. Amen. And I grew up my whole life. My mom was somewhat religious, but lost. And many of my family were like that. We're kind of Christmas and Easter people. I grew up in a little town called Jamestown. There was only one church in town back in those days, a little United Methodist church. And, but I had heard about Jesus growing up, never knew who he was and why he did what he did. I just believed he was a man, and for some reason he died on the cross. But that morning, that preacher made it very, very clear who he was and why he died. And I realized for the first time in my life, Jesus died for me. And he said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he talked about that a little bit more. And I was at work by this time and I turned off the radio. But I knew that moment how to go to heaven. And I went into work and that day uh, uh, drove home. And my ritual was every night to pull in my driveway, go in the kitchen and get a beer and start getting drunk and drinking my problems away. And I pulled the beer out of the refrigerator. I remember praying the night before. I remember that pastor speaking that morning. And I slid that beer back and... Uh, the refrigerator closed the door, and I went to that same spot where I'd prayed that prayer the night before, and oh, God broke my heart that night. And I remember falling on my knees, and I could still picture, this was in the early 90s, there was shag carpet in that house, and a lot of the older folks, you'll know what I'm talking about. And I, the, the, the tears were dripping off my face, and I remember just coming to my knees and saying, Jesus, I don't know how to pray, but I know I'm a sinner, and I know I'm going to hell. And I said, Jesus, if you'll take me the way I am tonight, I receive you as my Savior. And boy, I got up, Pastor, and I, I literally felt, and you don't have to feel what I felt, but I, I felt a, a weight, a physical weight of the, the debt of sin, the load of sin had been lifted off of my shoulders. And boy, the love of God just came in that room. It was just amazing. And I'm basking in the love of God and just weeping. And then after a while, I'm standing there and I'm thinking, okay, now what? Now what do I do? And I remember I, I have a Bible. And for some reason at that same United Methodist Church in 1976, I was 10 years old. It was a Christmas Eve, and I know that because it was written in the Bible. Our Sunday school teacher, I never forget her name, her name was Mrs. Hickey. The Hickey family, a little short people, they lived across the street from the church. And praise God for that little lady on Christmas Eve, she gave all the kids in her class in the basement of that church a King James Bible. There's probably maybe five or six of us. Two of them was me and my sister. For some reason, although I never read it, I carried that Bible all over the world with me, in the military, everywhere I went. But thank God it was there that night. 
Amen. I thought, well, I'm a Christian. I'll read what the Bible has to say. Again, early 90s, I'm ashamed to admit this, but I had a king-sized waterbed back in those days. Amen. <laughs> and I climbed up in that waterbed, and, and I said, well, it's a book. I'll just start with the, page one. And so Genesis 1, verse 1, until 4 o'clock in the morning, I read the Word of God and just fell in love with God that night. It was the most amazing night of my life. The first sober night in eight years, I went to bed. I don't know who that pastor was on that radio, but I'll tell you what, when I go to heaven, I don't know if Jesus is going to tap me on the shoulder and say, there he is, uh, Brother Todd, there's the pastor that preached that morning, or or if he's going to tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, there's that guy I told you about that got saved in Sacramento when you're preaching. I don't know how it's going to work, but we're going to meet, and I'm going to give that preacher a hug for about a thousand years. And just say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, there was a day in his life where he got up, I believe, in front of his church and said, Church, I I believe that God wants me to get on the radio. And I've already investigated. It's going to cost this much money. I had a radio ministry as well. It's not cheap. And he probably went before his church and said, you know, let's pray about it. And we'll have a business meeting here in a few weeks. And this is the, the outlay of how it's going to be. And the, the church, no doubt, got behind him and, and uh, said, Pastor, we believe that this is what God would have you to do. And, and because he got on the radio. And I don't know if that man ever knew if anybody was listening. I don't know if he ever knew he reached anybody. But bless God, he reached me. Amen. I thank God that one day he got up with a vision and said, you know what, I must needs go through Samaria. I believe that God wants us to do a little bit extra in our church to reach the people of the, the, the sacramental area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And boy, I thank God that he did. I got very burdened for my dad. My dad wasn't the first person that I ever got saved uh, or ever witnessed to, rather, but he was the second person I witnessed to. My dad was still wallowing in his sin and addiction. I'm ashamed to say, as a lost man, I, I've literally... Uh, fought my dad. I, I've hurt my dad physically. I've hit him. He's hit me over the last, who's getting the last drop of alcohol in a bottle. Many times my dad and I have fought each other physically. But I'm saved now, and boy, I wanted my dad to be saved. And I remember praying and envisioning that, that God was truly going to save my, my dad's soul. And I called my dad on the phone. I said, can I come spend the a weekend with you. And again, he didn't know what happened to me yet. And he said, yeah, come on down. And never forget, I came to his house. He's watching a Golden State Warriors game on TV. Another sign that he needed salvation. Amen. <laughs> so I did know something about my dad. Never talked to him while a game is on about anything. So I sat there in the other chair in the living room, just him and I, and I pretended that I was watching the game, but the whole time I was praying, and I'm, I'm just asking God to give me the courage to witness to my dad. He was a career military man, very hard man, charactered man, and uh, first commercial break came on, and I got scared to death, and I was going to tell him to shut the TV off so I could witness to him, and I didn't say a word, and I said, oh God, I'm so sorry. Please, God, give me another chance, and I, I promise you I'll, I'll do it the next commercial break. The next commercial break came on, scared to death again, sat there, didn't say a word. Game came back on, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Please, one more chance, I promise you. And that third commercial break came on, and I said, Dad, can you shut the TV off? And he shut the TV off, and again, he didn't know I got saved. He just knew my reputation, and I didn't have a good one. He looked at me, and he said these words. He said, what did you do now? And I said, Dad, it wasn't what I did this time. I said, it, what was, it's what was done to me. And he said, what are you talking about what was done to you? And that was my opening to give him the gospel. And he sat there and he looked at a blank TV screen. And I took him all the way through the Bible. And he listened to every word that I said. And I got all the way to the end. I said, Dad, you want to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior so you can go to heaven when you die? 
And I already prayed, and I didn't envision what was going to happen. He was going to fall to his knees like I did and begin weeping, and he's going to call on the Lord, and we're going to hug and rekindle our relationship, and we're going to hold hands and skip off into the sunset together and serve God the rest of our lives. It's going to be the most beautiful thing in the world. And that is not what happened. My dad began to cuss me out, and he cussed out Jesus uh, for several minutes. He said, if I, he said, I've saved myself my whole life, which was somewhat true for a lost man. He was kicked out of the house when he was 17 years old. He was a homeless teenager before we even knew what that was. His drunkard daddy kicked him out of the house. My dad, as a 17-year-old teenager, shot pool in Jamestown, California. He'd go in the bars, they'd let him in, and that's how he earned enough money to feed himself. And he said, I've saved myself my whole life. If I ever need to get saved again, I'll save myself again. Don't ever bring up the blankety-blank name of Jesus again. And he cussed me out again and turned on the game, and that was the end of the conversation. With tears in my eyes, I went to the back room of my mom and dad's house, and I looked up to heaven, and I said, God, I'm going to make you two promises tonight. Number one, I said, I'll never give up on that man. I'll pray for him to get saved till the day I die. I said, God, if, number two, if nobody in my family ever serves you, by your grace, I will serve you till the day I die. If nobody gets saved, nobody serves you, I will serve you, God, till the day that I die. Three years later, I was off in Bible college already. I left my career in Sacramento, and I was married now and in Bible college, and I came home from work, and my wife was on the phone with my father, and I got on the phone with my dad, and my dad was crying uncontrollably, and my dad never cried my whole life, never heard him, never saw him cry, and my first thought was something had happened to my mother, and I said, Dad, what, what's wrong? What, what's going on? Why are you crying? And these were the words he spoke three years after that night. He said, Son, I wanted to let you know this was a Monday night. He said, I went to church with your mother yesterday morning, and I got saved. And I got saved. And I didn't know the whole story, but my mom told me a couple years after that. She had actually called me before my dad's salvation, and my mom was lost as well. And she said, Todd, she said, I, I can't take your father any longer. I'm, I'm going to have to leave him. I, I've tried and tried and tried, but I, I just can't do it anymore. And I said, Mom, please don't do that. She says, I, I have nowhere else to go. I don't know what to do. I said, go see my pastor. I was in Indiana, I, but I had a pastor, Pastor Hedger in Sacramento. was my pastor. I said, go see Pastor Hedger. At least let him help you. He'll give you some counsel about maybe helping you with the marriage. So she said, I'll go. So she called Pastor Hedger, and she went up to see him for a marriage counseling session. But thank God at that marriage counseling session that Pastor Hedger recognized that my mom was lost, and he won my mom to Jesus Christ. And my mom came home a lot, uh, left home rather a lost lady, came home a saved lady. But my dad, of course, was still lost and drinking, and she tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. Two years after my dad got saved, she said, this is what happened. She said, son, I, I tried my best even as a saved person, but I, I just couldn't take it anymore. And she says, I never should have said this to your dad, but she said, on a Saturday night, I said, if you do not go to church with me tomorrow, I'm leaving you. And my dad still loved her enough over his sin and his alcohol to get up that next Sunday morning and go to church with my mom and he walked the aisle and he got saved. She said, son, I should have never said that to your dad. I said, don't beat yourself up over it. It worked, amen. <laughs> it worked. 
And salvation changed our family. My children, I have four, they never saw their daddy drunk. They never saw alcohol in our home. Salvation changed our family tree. I tell people all the time, boy, a wild night in our house with my kids growing up was leave it to beaver, amen? If it got really wild, it was a little house on the prairie or something like that. But uh, yeah, we're not perfect people, but salvation changed us. And I trace those roots all the way back to that preacher in Sacramento. I don't even know his name. He's probably up in heaven today that got up in front of his church and said, I believe that God wants us to have a radio ministry. And, and one day he had a vision and says, I must needs go through Samaria. And boy, I'm glad he did because I got saved and my mom got saved and, and my dad got saved and my children are saved, bless God. And many in my family have gotten saved and literally thousands of others have gotten saved throughout our ministry because one man said, I must needs go through Samaria. Thank God that he did. I'll hurry and we'll be done in just a moment. But I was in Bible college for a few years and I still don't know why this happened or the reasons behind it all. But I I went through a period of depression. I never told my wife. I never left college. I never went into sin. I never did anything foolish. I stayed in school. I was still preaching, but my heart left the ministry. Everything I was doing, I was just going through the motions. And on Saturday, when I was supposed to go up to Chicago and visit my bus route, I just sat in the park across from my bus route on a park bench, and I brought a lunch with me, and I'd sit there for three, four hours and eat my lunch and feed pigeons and feel sorry for myself and sulk and, again, never did anything sinful, but I just didn't care about God or the things of God. I stopped soul winning, and I was just scared to death because I didn't know what was going on. And nobody knew about it but me and God. And that went on for three months. I'd sit there long enough on a Saturday so, till everybody thought I was doing what I was supposed to do. And then I would drive home. And again, did that for several months. But one day, one Saturday on that park bench, I don't know what happened. But for the grace of God, my heart came back into it. And I stood up that day and I looked across 71st Street in South Chicago at my bus route across the other side. And I said, God, I'm sorry for three months I haven't knocked on a door. But I said, today, God, I must needs go through Samaria. And for the first time in three months, I started knocking on doors again. And I believe it was two or three houses down, a young man answered, and I'll never forget him. He came to the door with a Budweiser beer can in his hand that he had opened. He was drinking. He had a lit cigarette in the other and I talked to him, he's very kind, and I said, can I show you from the Bible how to go to heaven? And he said, I got nothing better to do. I said, he said, go ahead. And I said, of course, the first thing I showed him, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he said, wait, 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 stop right there. And I said, what, what's wrong? He said, I've never sinned. And I'm thinking, this guy's the biggest knucklehead in all the world. <laughs> Budweiser here, cigarette here, I've never sinned. I put out my hand, I said, man, I'd like to shake your hand. He said, how come? I said, apart from Jesus Christ, you're the only one that's ever achieved that. But when I said that, he got convicted because he set that beer can on the ground and he put that lit cigarette behind his back. The smoke's literally rising above his head. I used to smoke cigarettes back in the day. I'm sorry to admit that. But uh, I'm thinking, Lord, I'm going to talk to this guy and see what he does with that cigarette. So I'm just having small talk with him and we're kind of going back and forth. And that cigarette eventually burns his fingers. He throws it down. He stomps it out. He looks back up at me and he says, okay, you got me. I'm a sinner. I said, that's exactly where we need to be. I said, can I go on? He says, yes, please do. And he let me take him through the Romans road and he got saved right there on his doorstep. He said, Todd, he said, can you tell that to my brother? And I said, I'd love to. He says, wait right here. And I'm like, okay. 
So he closes the door and he goes back in the house and I'm waiting five minutes. He never comes back. I'm thinking, God, how long do I wait for this guy? Was he scamming me or was he lying to me? What's he doing? Ten minutes, he never comes back. I'm thinking, Lord, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm about ready to leave, Lord. And Lord, tell me what to do. Fifteen minutes, I'm like, okay, that's it. I begin to walk down the steps back to the street and the door opens. He says, no, Todd, he says, come back. He says, can you tell what you just told me to my brother? I'm like, yes. He says, he's ready. Come in the house. The house is kind of dark, and we're walking all the way down the hallway, and again, I'm thinking, these guys are going to jump me. This is just not good. I'm still not trusting this guy. I believe he got saved, and I'm still not trusting him. And there's a room, and uh, the door's closed, and he opens the door, and he says, my brother's in here. Can you tell him what you just told me? And as he opened the door, in the back corner of that room, there's a hospital bed, and his brother's lying on the hospital bed. The frailest man I've ever seen, he's dying of cancer. And literally, he's so skinny, you could see the bones just under his skin, just all over his body. And he says, Brother Todd, he says, my brother's dying of cancer. We have no idea how long he's going to live. Can you tell him what you just told me? And I sat down next to that dear man. Thank God his mind was still very sharp. And I asked him if I could share the gospel, how he could go to heaven. He said, yes. And he started crying, and I'm crying. His brother's crying. And that dear man got saved. I'll never forget it. And I can't wait to see those guys someday in heaven. Literally that next Wednesday, that man in that hospital bed died and went into eternity. His brother, I didn't get to preach the funeral because nobody in the family knew me, but his brother showed me the next time I saw him the funeral notice. And he, he, said, he said, Brother Todd, I want to show you what I put on the, the notice. And I forget the man's name that died at this point, but he, he said, uh, don't cry for him because he's in heaven. He got saved on such and such a date. And he put that in there for his lost family to see. And he said, I just want to show you, this is what I wanted my family to see. Not to cry for him because he's in heaven. I'm glad that day, by the grace of God, I got off at that park bench and said, I must needs go through Samaria. I must needs go through Samaria. So many stories, and I'll have to close, but we had a jail ministry in Stockton for many years, and the jail's about 30 minutes from my house. It was on a Thursday night, usually, that I would go, and I always loved to go to the jail after I went there, but I never wanted to go. Sometimes I'd drive there, the jail would be locked down, and it was just a wasted trip, and I'd have to drive home, and I'm like, why, God, did I even come? And sometimes one guy would come, and he's a Jehovah's Witness and just wants to argue with you, you know, and it's just like, God, it's just a big waste of time. But boy, some of the closest times to revival I've ever seen have been at the jails. And that night, it was just an amazing night. I didn't want to go, but the room was packed out with men. And I believe all the men that I didn't already know that were saved, all the lost men there that night got saved. Usually after every service, there would always be men that would hang out, and they'd want to talk to you or have you pray with them. And that night was no exception. But the first man that came was a Hispanic man, and he's standing right here, and he says, Pastor, can I talk to you? And I'd love to share with you my story. And I said, yeah, I'd love to hear it. And uh, they have orange jumpsuits on, but everywhere else that you could see his skin, there's tattoos on his hands, his neck, his face, literally all over back of his neck. And he says, first thing he says, he says, Pastor, you probably couldn't tell this, but I used to be a gangbanger. And I'm like, no, I would have never guessed that. And he's like, oh, Pastor. He says, let me tell you my story. He said, I grew up in southeast Stockton, lost man. He said, Pastor, let me just say, I didn't even want to come to the service tonight. I'm laying in my cot. The announcement comes that you're here. I'm like, man, I don't want to hear some preacher, but my roommate got me to come. He says, let's just go. At least get to get out of our cell for a little while. So I came. But he said, Pastor, I got saved tonight. I got saved. I just want to let you know. I said, man, that's great. 
That's great. There's another man standing there listening to our conversation. He says, but he says, Pastor, I'm a gangbanger. I got married. We're southeast Stockton. And my wife and I had a little baby boy. And I didn't love God, obviously, back then. But I prayed to God. And I said, God, when my son grows up, don't let him be like his daddy. Don't let him grow up and be a gangbanger. And he said, but Pastor, when my son was 16 years old, he left home and he joined the gangs. And I haven't seen him since. I said, I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, this other guy's listening to our conversation. But he says, Pastor, I came in tonight, and I look across the, the room, and he says, I see him, and he points to this man, and he says, Pastor, this is my son. He says, Pastor, I'm so ashamed that I had to meet my son after all these years in jail. But he said, when you were done and I got saved, I went over and I reacquainted with my son, and I talked to him, and he said, Pastor, my son got saved tonight also. Amen. And boy, I talked with those guys and we rejoiced and we wept together and we prayed together and all the other men were gone and I watched that daddy and that son saved, amen, with their arms around each other's shoulders, walk down that lonely hallway back to the jail. And I got up out in that parking lot of the sheriff's department I got on my knees by my car and said, God, I didn't even want to come tonight. I didn't want to come. God, forgive me. But thank you, thank you, thank you that I must needs go through Samaria. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God. Story after story. I'm going to close with this and I'll be brief. There was one time I didn't go. There was a family that moved on my bus route in Bible college and they were a middle class family, upper middle class family. And Mama went to church on the bus and her children also rode my church bus, but Daddy never came. And as far as I know, Daddy was lost. He's a very kind man and very uh, outgoing. And I would talk to him every Saturday when I went to visit the kids and Mama. And, and every Saturday as I left the home, the Holy Spirit would say, go back and speak to my heart and say, go back and witness to him. His name was Cole, C-O-L-E. And I, I was just a Bible college student. I'm intimidated. He's a successful businessman. And I would say, God, I'll see him next Saturday. And that was the same story every Saturday. We would talk. We'd laugh. And I'd walk away. And the Holy Spirit would say, go back and witness him. I'd say, God, I'll, I'll see him next Saturday. One night, his wife called me on the phone and said, Brother Todd, Cole's in the hospital. Can you come? And I said, what happened? She said, he's on, at work today. He's on a motorcycle going to the bank to take a deposit down and a city bus hit him, knocked him off the bike, and he hit his head on the pavement. He's in a coma. Can you come? And I said, I'll be right there. And I drove to South Chicago, and she was in the waiting room by herself, and I went to the intensive care unit. He was a big, huge man already, but his body was bloated with all the fluids that they were pumping in him. And he's on life support laying in that hospital bed, and I was in there alone, and I laid across his chest, and I said, Cole, I said, I'm so sorry I should have shared this with you. When I saw you every weekend, but I didn't. But I, I said, Cole, if you can hear me, the best way I can, I want to share with you how you can go to heaven. And I laid across that big man's chest and whispered in his ear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I said, now, Cole, I, I know you can't sp speak, but if you heard me and if, if you'd like to trust Christ, say these words. Just say them from your heart. God can hear your prayer. You don't have to speak them, but just 
speak to, with your heart to Jesus and he'll save you. And I led him through the sinner's prayer and I said, now Cole, I, I know that you can't talk to me and let me know that you trusted Christ. But if you heard me and if you understood today and, and you trusted Jesus as your savior, I, I, I said, please squeeze my hand. Do something to let me know that you got saved. Can you squeeze my hand just a little bit? And I waited and nothing happened. He's just lifeless. And I left the hospital and just a couple nights later, his wife called me and said, Brother Todd, he died. I was the only pastor they really knew as their bus captain. And she said, can you preach his funeral? And I, I said, yes, ma'am. And I hung up the phone and I said, God, how in the world do I preach a funeral for a man I should have witnessed to? And most likely he's in hell. But I wanted to do it for her. And that funeral home was packed out that night. Mostly men businessmen and all his friends and they're all lost and I do vividly remember 75 of those men got saved that night in that room it's an amazing night but the guy behind me in the coffin as far as I knew was in hell and I went out in my car and I sat in the driver's seat and I said God I'm so sorry I should be rejoicing because of all those people that got saved but God I'm so sorry because I know that your Holy Spirit told me to go speak to him and I didn't God I'm so sorry I don't beat myself up over that anymore. It's in the past, but I do use it as a motivation never to let it happen again. I never want you to have a coal in your life. Literally, my son Elijah, he's not with us this trip, but he's my soul winning partner largely. And he'll know this to be true, that we have knocked on doors and I didn't witness to the person and the Holy Spirit convicted me and we've literally been down on the other side of the block and I said, Elijah, I got to go back. I should have said something to those people and I didn't and he's like okay dad let's go and sometimes I go back and I knock on the door a second time and they're like man I thought I got rid of you the first time and I said I'm sorry I should have I'm just gonna at least I have to ask you this question if you died do you know for sure you'd go to heaven and sometimes they'll listen and and get saved sometimes they'll say you know what I'm really not interested but I I do know this I never want to have another call I never want to have another call And I never want you to have another call. I'm sure glad in my life there was somebody that said I must needs go through Samaria. In every one of our lives here today, there was somebody, figuratively speaking, that said to you, I must needs go through Samaria. And God used them to reach you. If we're just charactered people, we, we would... You know, if we just loved the Lord, we'd obey the command to, to win lost people to Christ. But can I say this? If we were just charactered people, just out of gratitude, we should spend our lives reaching others because somebody came to us. Can I say these things this morning? Carry tracks wherever you go. People who pass out tracks are those that have them. If you don't have them, you can't pass them out. Everywhere you go, spread the gospel. You say, I'm too shy to give them to somebody. Just leave them when they're not looking. I mean, at least do that. But most of us aren't that shy. You'd be surprised just how many people are hurting, how many people are searching. There is this lost population. They're confused. They don't want the wickedness of America. They don't know what they want. They need us to come and say, you know what? What you need is Jesus Christ. I was in Target not too long ago, and I'm sorry if Target's a bad word here. Uh, I know Walmart's the holy of holies, but... Uh, uh, but <laughs> and I live in the South, so Dollar General's actually the holy of holies, but... Uh, uh, I, I'm in Target uh, several months ago, and just I, I just asked people that are 
checking out my stuff. You know, hey, how are you doing today? You'll be surprised what they'll tell you. And the dear sweet lady, she said, she said, I, I, I'm doing fine. And she says, but she said, my husband just died recently. And I said, man, I'm so, I'm so sorry to hear that. And I said, ma'am, I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. Could I pray for you? And she said, she said, pastor, thank you. She said, uh, my husband was a pastor. And she says, I, I know he's saved. I'm saved. She said, I know he's in heaven. But she said, pastor, I still cry for him. I miss him so much. I said, ma'am, let me pray for you. She said, I love that. So she's checking out my purchase, and right there in front of God and everybody, we just pray. There's a line behind us. What do all those people do? They heard our prayer. People are hurting. Carry tracks wherever you go. Be a part of the church's soul winning program. Be a part of the church's soul winning program. I say this very lovingly, very carefully. But there are Christians all over America, and all we are doing is complaining about how bad it is and not changing anything that we're doing. Because Brother Herbert, if we just get Biden out of there, it'll be all right. No, it won't be. I liked our previous president a lot more than I like who's in there now, but Donald J. Trump did not bring revival to America. Revival will begin here in our hearts, in the churches of America, in the hearts of God's people. And I wonder, God, how bad does America have to get before we actually change and do something different? I mean, we're in the epicenter of recession, and, and I don't like the prices out here in California. I grew up here. I don't like what you have to do, struggle with here. But I'm thinking, how high would gas have to get before we do anything differently? Does it have to get $10 a gallon before we go soul winning? Would we go soul winning at $15 a gallon? Then would we cry out to God and say, God, help us. If we just get Nancy out of there, it'll be all right. No, it won't be. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, church. This conference just isn't about a few days to fill some time. It's about getting the gospel to the world and perhaps saving our nation for a little while longer. So God can continue to use this great country to, to reach the gospel and uh, all over the world and get these missionaries sent out so they don't have to go three, five, six years and still go under-supported to the field. Hey, we have the money in America. And I am all for faith promise giving. I've got to finish, Pastor. I'm sorry. I am all for faith promise giving. But the Bible teaches in, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 when Paul's talking to the church in Corinth, giving the example of the churches of Macedonia and their great example of their missions giving. He said before they got to faith promise, they first were giving themselves and they were first giving what they had. And then he took them beyond what they didn't have. That's faith promise giving. And he gave them an amount that they did not have. And then they gave that to missions as well. And then if you study that out and go to the book of Philippians, which is one of those churches that Paul was talking about to the Corinthians, Paul said to that church that was a poor missions giving church because they gave themselves and they gave what they had and God gave them above what they had and they gave that to missions he made them a promise and he said this, God's only going to do, he's just going to, he said, he's just going to do this for you. He's going to supply every need that you have according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And as pastor said earlier, God's economy is not dependent upon what's going on in this world. When you give what you have, which is you and your money that you already have, God will give you above that. That's faith promise. And that's when God just begins to multiply things above and beyond what we can even ask or think. But I believe he first requires us 
in what we do have. We have. Can I actually just get you this point? I do want you to give to Faith Promise. Can I get you this point? Also, could you look at your budget this week and see what you already have that you're not giving? I firmly believe if we just, and I'm not saying to do this, if we threw out faith promise giving and every Christian in America just gave what they had, it would revolutionize missions tomorrow morning. It would change the world. We would have more money than we knew what to do with if we just gave what we had. If 10 people in this room right now gave up a Starbucks, one Starbucks a week, we could put another missionary on the field. We spend more on dog food in America than most countries do on their feeding their people. I know it's rough. I know it's a recession. But I know we have it. And when you say, God, I'm going to look at my budget this week and I'm going to give what I have, I can give up something. And I can give that to missions. And then, God, beyond what I have, I'm going to trust you for this amount, faith promise. And I'll give that to missions. That's when God steps in and that thing just explodes. That's how you have 49 missionaries. Thank you, by the way, for your giving to missions. Doing a great job. Ask God for divine appointments in this area of souls. i got to hurry. I keep saying that. God wants to save people more than we want them saved. Amen. God will put people across your path if you are truly interested in seeing people saved. I am grateful for every Christian that goes out soul winning. But folks, let's get past the point where we, let me say this, if you're not going, you ought to go. And don't just go, don't just go 10 to 11, be a soul winner. Be a soul winner. But if you are going, I, I think I see a lot of people going, but they, we don't really expect anything to happen. We just got, we're glad we got our hour in. I'm off the hook till next week. I'm at least glad you went. But hey, uh, man, when I go out so when I don't see somebody saved, which does happen, I, I want so badly to see souls saved. I don't want just to get an hour and say, God, I'll see you next week. Pray for divine appointments. Give to missions. And then let's pray, really pray for the lost to be saved. In the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah is standing in the the midst of a destroyed Jerusalem and he's painting a picture of the destruction that's taken place. People are dying from the lack of food. Babies and children, uh, children rather, are crying in the streets. Their mothers and fathers had been killed in the battle. They're orphaned, crying out for hunger. Nobody can help them because the adults didn't have any food. The Bible literally says women were boiling their babies to eat their flesh. It's a tragic scene, but in the midst of all that, Jeremiah is standing there, and there must have been, in all that pain and that heartache and that destruction, there were still cold hearts. Because Jeremiah says, is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? And I think, dear God, how could it get that bad? And the people are still not changed by what they're seeing. And then I look at America. Oh, we're not boiling our babies. We're just killing 2,500 of them every day. Is it nothing to us that the lost will go to hell, that families, marriages, lives will be destroyed, that our nation is going to hell unless we reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you care today, and I'm done, and I believe that we do care, you wouldn't be in church this morning, then we must needs go through Samaria. Without delay, Every day until Jesus comes or he takes us home, we must needs go.
I'm going to ask you this morning on death, who will go? Who will go? Would you bow your heads with me? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Father, thank you tonight for the dear people of God. Thank you this morning, rather, for the dear people of God. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless the invitation. I want to ask a couple things, and I'll turn over the invitation to Pastor in just a moment. First of all, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wonder if you might be here this morning and you're not sure that you're saved. I know that you do not want to die and go to hell. That's the only, there's only two alternatives. We either go to heaven or we go to hell. And if you're here this morning, you're not 100% sure according to the Bible that you're saved. Please, please, I beg of you, do not leave here today without knowing that heaven is your home. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And if you'll walk forward and let somebody here at the platform know, let myself know or someone else, we would be honored to take the Bible and share with you very lovingly and carefully. You'll not be embarrassed in any way, but show you from the Word of God how you can go to heaven. Please do not go to hell from Bible Baptist Church. Please don't leave here today not knowing that heaven's your home. God loves you. God has already sent His Son Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin through His death, His burial, and His resurrection. The debt has been paid, but you must receive that gift of salvation. Let us show you how you can do that today. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Please, no one looking around. If you're here today and say, Brother Herbert, I'm just not sure I'm saved. I don't want to go to hell. Would you please pray for me? Would you slip up your hand and let me know you're here? I'm not sure I'm saved, but I don't want to go to hell. God bless you, young man. Anyone else real quickly? I'm not sure that I'm saved. I want to be saved. Put up your hand so I can see it. Anyone else all over the room today? God bless you. I don't know if there might have been others, but please, please come forward today. Be saved. Can I ask you, dear Christians, who would say today by a raised hand, I'll give my life to souls. I'll give my life, and this will be my phrase, that I must needs go through Samaria. By the grace of God, I'll, I'll, I'll allow God to use me. I'll give to missions, yes. I'll give what I have. I'll search the heart of God this week and pray for what God would have me to give beyond my own giving. But I'll give myself, and I'll give what I have, and I'll give by faith. But I'll give my life to souls. I don't want to have a cold. I'll give my life to souls. Would you please pray for me? Would that be your prayer today? Would you slip up your hand? Thank you for God's people, Lord. Would you come to an old-fashioned altar today and seal your decisions before Almighty God? Father, I pray today that you'd bless the invitation. For Jesus' sake, have your will and way, please. Amen. Let's stand, please. The altar be open for you this morning. If you're not sure you're saved, would you come and let Pastor know? Take him by the hand. We'd love to have someone lead you to Christ today. If you made a decision in this service, and if you can come, please come. If you're not able to kneel at an altar, you can come and stand. Do business with God at your seat. Please don't leave here today without making an application of what you'll do today with the truth that you've heard. Let's stop complaining. and Let's do something to win this nation to Christ. The great preacher Lester Roloff said, if we want to save America, we've got to get America saved. Let's search our hearts this morning. Let God deal with you. Others have come. You can come as well.